Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, we're talking about a loss today. Something I didn't think we'd ever be talking about, honestly, ever again in the FBS. I didn't think JMU was ever going to lose in the FBS era, so I'm I'm personally really shocked. This day's come, and having it come against Georgia Southern is insane. Yeah, not a lot of things went well in this game, uh, except for the 675 yards of offense. But other than make, that, make, make this game, man, my voice sounds terrible. Make this game make sense, though, because it truly was one of the most interesting games I think I've ever seen um, in terms of yardage-wise. Both teams, lots of offense, 675 yards for JMU, 590 for Georgia Southern. But if you looked at the st- stats of this game, especially after the first half, and then you looked at the score, it was one of the most mind-boggling games I think I've ever watched. And it felt like Georgia Southern at times was the better team. It felt low scoring for the yardage. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right? like, I mean, what? what's the final? Finals 45-38, Eagles win. Yeah, over 1,000 yards of total offense. Probably could have been in the 50s easily. I think both teams might, might be kicking themselves a little bit. Jamie, especially for not hitting 50. Uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, a disappointing loss, certainly. And uh, the good news is, Three knots if you're in Harrisonburg. <laughs> Not a disappointing place to go. We're recording on Mondays or this Monday today. Yes, normally we're Wednesday when they have the game night and those $5 flagship pints. But it's a Minuteman Monday when we're recording this one, uh, which I believe is an even better deal, right? It's $3 for the, the Minuteman, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're waiting for it to scroll across the bottom. That was, but it's, yeah. it's uh, $3 if I remember correctly. There we go. <laughs> See, I knew it. $3 for a Minuteman pint. Pretty darn good. Oktoberfest, still around. So, I mean, it's it's a great spot to go hang out. Homecoming, if you're in town, certainly a spot to go visit. I imagine they'll have plenty of deals for homecoming. You can yeah. get yourself, like like Bennett said, a nice Minuteman, ice cold in a can or on draft, and have yourself a wonderful homecoming. And another way you can have a wonderful homecoming is by using Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. So you can jump on in there and hammer JMU minus 12.5 or whatever they are this weekend against Marshall in homecoming at Bridgeforth. BetOnline is always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB. MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, even live golf, because who doesn't want to bet on live golf? I think a lot of people. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's promo code B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. There it is. Boom, baby. That online's always where the game starts and where this podcast starts. I think it's just major takeaways from Georgia Southern. We'll probably talk our way in and around this podcast between 
different reactions from the coaching staff into the fan reaction into storming the field that Georgia Southern did. I think we all have thoughts and theories on that as well. But I'll let you start driving this ship here now. What are some of your major takeaways from Georgia Southern? I think my my biggest one is I think JMU is probably the better team. But you can't spot Georgia Southern four turnovers, a block punt that is immediately recovered in the end zone, and expect to win. Like, there was too many mistakes, and they also gave up 578 passing yards. Like, there's there's so many things they did to win the game, like offensively having almost 700 yards. But then the turnovers were kind of sloppy. They lost some one-on-ones, which we'll get into with the secondary. Block punt was bad. Special teams are just kind of a, an issue in general. There were a few times where it was like, you know, now might be an okay time to kick a field goal. And they decided not to, which is okay too, because some of the aggression I like. Um, some of the, the third and fourth down calls were a little confusing, yeah. but I also think some of it kind of made sense watching the game back a little bit. So my takeaway is kind of that I think Jamie's probably the better overall team. But at the same time, every team that hasn't intercepted Van Trees and like really messed with him has, has struggled. Like Georgia Southern's way better than I think people are. Jamie fans, especially are giving them credit for being, uh, especially this. I mean, they're four and three. They haven't lost a home game. They have a road win at Nebraska. I know Nebraska is not that great, but like still a hostile environment. And they scored 45 and won that game. Their losses are fine. Like they're like UAB, I think is a good team. And it was on the road. Coastal is obviously a fraud, but like, Fraud is in quotes, right? They're six and one. They're not like a an zero and seventeen. We say fraud, we just mean they're not like going to go undefeated the whole season, which they obviously didn't. And then Georgia State, they lose that game by eight on the road to a rival. I think Van Trees threw four interceptions. Like yeah. if he doesn't do that, they win the game. So it's one of those where for for JMU, if you're going to lose the turnover battle by a billion, and you're not going to take advantage of some some passes that are interceptable from Van Trees. He's going to get yards. He's going to have touchdowns. Their skill guys are too good. So that, that's kind of my thing. It's like Jamie didn't play well enough to beat a, a very capable, even though they're not elite, a very capable Georgia Southern team on the road. 100%. And I think it comes down to Jamie lost his game by seven. And that block punt for a field goal, block punt for a touchdown, was worth seven points. Like, even with the three interceptions and the fumble, even with everything like that, Jamie still very much probably wins this game if they don't have an extreme like special teams blunder and they didn't get anything else on special teams, not to mention Georgia Southern attempted an onside kick to start the second half. The JMU was not prepared for. And if the kicker for Georgia Southern places it a little bit better, I think this could be a lot different of a game. So I think special teams is somewhat of an issue, not saying sound the alarms, the pit, the panic button, DEFCON five type of issues. But I do think like when you're looking at this game, the full picture is, JMU can't lose the special teams battle that badly. They can't lose the turnover battle and they can't make bad blunders and still win a game against a Sunbelt opponent because that's what we signed up for when us fans were clamoring to go to the FBS. This game is probably winnable against a CAA opponent. This game's not winnable against a Sunbelt opponent. And I mean, racking up all of those yards too, nearly 700 yards of total offense and then you only come away with 38 points is a problem. But it's, it's where those interceptions occur. One of them, you know, inside the 10 or 15, I think two of them from inside the 10 or 15-yard line, at least inside the 30. 
when you're threatening to score and you come away with nothing. Sometimes interceptions, and maybe this is the way I rationalize interceptions for myself, but sometimes they're just like punts. Like you're on, you're in no man's land or you're kind of in that weird area of the field and you throw it and it's interception and it just flips the field. It just kind of gives you the advantage in the field position battle and it doesn't necessarily hurt your team. Where it hurts your team is when you allow them to then score off of your turnovers or it takes points off the board, which is what all three interceptions did for JMU, which were all killer. And you got and you got to sit back and, well, Todd, Todd only threw two interceptions and one of those went for a touchdown where it's a very different game. So JMU may have been the better team, but I think Georgia Southern capitalized in the moments it needed yeah. to capitalize in, and that's what made them win. And I'd say they're the better team for being able to capitalize in those moments. Yeah, they did that. And I saw a lot of takes that were like, you can't have that stat line against a CAA team and win. And like kind of true with some of the New Hampshire games, right? Where they turned the ball over a gazillion times and lost. Yeah. At the same time, where it's like, you can't allow 600 passing yards. You do that in the CAA, you lose. It's like no one in the CAA could do that. They don't have a Kyle Van Trees <laughs> with like a really experienced <laughs> offensive line in a great group of receivers. So like, I think the last time the stat they had, like the last time they gave up 400 passing yards, um in a game i want to say it was like it might have been even withers era against richmond or maybe it was Houston. i can't remember whatever it was i think it was kyle aletta who ended up you know bouncing around nfl rosters so it's it's like you have to play a good team to get exposed like that this is one of the more dangerous offenses in the the sun belt especially from a passing perspective which is jamie's weakness i did crack up a little bit at some stuff that was like silver lining the run defense was good and it was like I mean, not really. Like, if you give up like 600 yards of offense, I don't, I don't think there's any silver lining. From that. I love like Ukwu's <laughs> answer, and I know this is where you're going with it. So sorry to steal your thunder. But like, <laughs> Go for Uku's it. answer was probably one of the funniest answers, where someone in the media asked, "You guys only allowed like 15 rush yards. You got to hang your hat on that, right?" And he was like, "No, no, we don't. We allowed seven million pass yards. What do you? No." And it was just, the, 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 I just loved keeping it real like that. It was an awesome answer. And Georgia Southern has actually ran the ball pretty well against some teams this year. So like, there's, there's something to be said for like, all right, like the run defense held in there pretty well, but they really abandoned it almost immediately because they were torching them through the, especially in the second half, first half, they, they kind of hung in there decently. I guess Signetti actually made an interesting point. He was like, we gave up seven first half points defensively. Like there was a block punt for a touchdown, but we got like crushed in the second half. So I think that was fair, but they weren't trying to run the ball. So it was kind of weird to be like, Hey, you see that run defense? Like it, it truly doesn't matter if you yeah. give up almost 600 passers. But anyway, I think the the defense has room to improve. And I think there were some spots. There were some spots though, where they were like in position. So like the one 75 yard touchdown pass, Sam kid probably should intercept that pass. To be and I'm also going to be honest. I think that yes, he should have. And yes, he was in the right spot, but he, he didn't like, that but doesn't he, mean the I defense think, is, I, to me, Maybe I'm being really cynical, with, and I've kind of been cynical for, on the secondary the whole year, and then the one week I'm not, like, sounding the alarms on it. They get shredded for a million passing yards. I, I think there's two points to a defense. It's being in the right place and also making the plays. Sometimes they're in the right place, but they couldn't capitalize on that second part. They couldn't make the plays to finish the play. Like, Sam Kidd missed the ta- missed a tackle at one point and ended in a touchdown. The 75-yard touchdown – he missed the interception, but there was another defensive back right there who should have made the tackle who didn't like the defense really struggled making the plays. They were in the right spot, but they couldn't finish. 
Yeah, I mean, but it's it's one where it's like, do I think he misplays the ball horribly every week for the rest of the season? Probably not. No, but I mean, I guess we don't know because they haven't been tested like this by a passing offense. The good news is like Marshall's about to roll out two quarterbacks and they, they're horrible offensively. So like there's there's some good things there. Old Dominion, I don't think their offense is like particularly elite. Uh, Georgia State's kind of inconsistent. And then Coastal, Coastal can score a bit, but that's one, like, if you want to end the year 50 to 50 in a shootout, it's fine by me. I don't care. Like, this <laughs> sounds fun. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not like too down on the defense. I think they'll, they'll improve as the year goes on. I think some of it was like miscommunication and things like the fourth down play, the fourth and 10 late in the game that could have sealed it. They, they moved a receiver in motion, Chauncey Logan motion to somebody like, I'm going to take this guy. You take this guy. Nobody took the other man. Like they, they blitzed two linebackers up the middle and then Surratt was out of position. Actually, if he had made like a really impressive tackle right on the catch, he would have been probably a yard shorter than maybe they measure it and they win the game on a measurement. Probably unlikely given the refs, but that, that could have been a possibility, but it was one where it's like, clearly they're trying to communicate and whatever happened there, nobody covered like one of their best slot receivers directly over the middle of the field while blitzing two guys to leave the field completely open. So there's some schematic stuff. There's some them not making the right play. I think it's like an equal coaches players blame for the the secondary showing. That makes sense. I, I just, the secondary, it, it kind of hurts how bad they, it, it's not that they're bad. I, I probably shouldn't use that word because it's not interchangeable with what they are. They're inexperienced. Yeah. And their inexperience showed, and I think that comes through with Chauncey Logan motioning, I'm going to take this guy. Right. The other corner, just not having that chemistry to really fully understand what's happening. And you end up losing a guy. Like, this this secondary is just so inexperienced. And that brings me to my next point here. I, I mentioned a few takeaways on Twitter. And, and one of my, my major takeaways, the secondary just isn't where it needs to be to beat a Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is probably the most elite offense in the Sun Belt, maybe not they're up like, there, right? Like maybe not from an efficiency mark, but just from pure numbers, they're pretty darn good in the Sun Belt. So that's probably the the most passes they're gonna face, 64 attempts. And it's probably the best defense the best offense this defense is gonna face all year. But I want to say sacks weren't the issue. I brought it up and maybe you feel differently and you can correct me on this or maybe we can hash it out quickly, but a lot of JMU fans were in my mention saying, I can't blame the secondary. The defensive line had zero sacks. Well, if your secondary is so reliant on your defensive line to generate sacks, that's an issue. Like your defensive line does need to create pressure, but it's a symbiotic relationship, right? You need the secondary to be able to defend for, you got, you got to, yeah. you need a secondary to generate a pass rush and you need a pass rush to help your secondary. You can't ask a secondary to hold coverage for six, seven seconds, by no means. But you also can't expect the deep, the defensive line to get home in under two seconds each play. Like, there has to be some sort of give and take. And there was pressure on some plays. Fantrice was good and got out of it. But there were other times that they didn't need to hold the ball for three seconds, and the defensive line just didn't get there. I mean, Clay Helton and that offense was perfectly doing pre-snap motion. They were bringing in running backs to chip. They're bringing in tight ends to chip block. To me, sacks weren't the issue. And if you're not going to be able to step back and say the secondary is a problem because there weren't any sacks, that's an issue. Like there were, there were, and I know the coaching staff knows there are issues in the secondary because they lost, so they understood the uh, takeaways. But like, it's just sacks weren't the issue. 
So here's a question for you. How many times do you think Georgia Southern throws the ball per game? They played seven games. 55 times a game. 49.7. That's so, so many times. It's so many times. Guess how many sacks they've allowed all season? Probably like five. Like they probably have a really good offense. Because they have a triple option offensive line. They've thrown the ball 50 times a game, and they've given up two sacks the entire all season. Year? All year. So, wow. like, I think part of it is, like, their offense might just be better than JMU's defense with, like, a really good schematic matchup of they don't Not just care. might be better. I think it is leaps and bounds I think they, better. <laughs> they just have no interest in running the ball. So then they have these really experienced offensive linemen, these really experienced receivers who I don't know how they're so good having been in a triple option scheme, a lot of them, like, alarming. And they <laughs> I, help don't, I don't know how. That's what I was thinking when I was watching this game. I was like – this was a triple option team last year, and now they're just throwing it 50 times. How? And Clay Helton said that like in the, the preseason and stuff, and I thought he was kind of just blowing smoke where he was like, these receivers are good. No, I think he was like probably genuinely shocked. Like, oh, my God. Like, why, why are they in this <laughs> Why did they come here? So then all he needed was a quarterback, and he brought in a six-year guy who's played a ton of football and knows how to sling it around who wasn't necessarily crazy good at Buffalo, but I think this scheme fits him a little better where he can throw it a gazillion times. So – it's worked out really well. And you look at the games where they struggled. So their losses this year, uh, the coastal game, he threw one interception in that game. Um, he wasn't the most effective he's been, but that one was kind of a slugfest where coastal just outscored him and had enough to win it 34 to 30 with a last minute drive. The other ones, he threw three interceptions against UAB. They were fantastic defensively. Uh, and then Georgia state, their other loss, he threw four interceptions. So essentially <laughs> if you want to beat them, you need to turn take it. You got to turn them over or you have to like go blow for blow and just win like a tight game. And that's what coastal did. So you look at like JMU, you either have to turn the guy over, which they did not, or you have to go blow for blow and win a tight game. And they didn't do it because they turned the ball over a gazillion times and a lot of block punt, but like Signetti, I think it was today was saying this one's like on the offense too. Like this is a full team loss. Yeah. And I think he's right because well, yeah. their defense, Georgia Southern's defense is not good. Like that, they could have scored 60. And it, it's probably one of those games where you might have to win it 60 to 40. But that that's like you had a way easier matchup if you're on the offensive side and you missed too many plays. You had too many turnovers where you kind of knew going in the defense is probably going to get got a few times. And, and I, on the podcast last week, I forgot what your score prediction was, but mine was 55-35. Like mm -hmm. I expected a high-scoring game. And, yeah, when you have 700 yards of offense, you should – score more than 38 points like so many of those drives ended deep in georgia southern's part of the field because they didn't trust the kicker camden wise to kick a field goal and they had either an interception to finish the drive or they had a really questionable play calling which leads me to that point now plenty of third and shorts plenty of fourth and shorts opportunities for you to continue your drive and in a game that's going to be high scoring where you need to continue your drives. And I, I've crunched the numbers. We'll talk about second half play calling here in a second. But overall on this game, Percy was averaging 5.9 yards per carry. Latrell was averaging 5.7. They had at least two or three third and ones, fourth and ones. And they did 50-50 go balls to the sidelines. Why? <laughs> that's a good question. Like, I went back and rewatched some of it. I think some of them, 
are maybe not taking the correct read. And I think some of it is like Georgia Southern's pass defense actually made like an okay play for like the first time in the game. Like they seem to just rise to the occasion. Like there was one where he ends up throwing, it's like a fourth and three or fourth and four. Right. And I think they were at like the Georgia Southern 15 or something. So they could have had a field goal. They're up 24, 21 could have had a field goal to go up six. Camden wise. I think he made his one kick on the day. So not, not like a guaranteed miss, right. Even if he doesn't have a ton of confidence or wants a touchdown, <laughs> But he's got Thornton on like a little little out route on the outside. But there's a a safety over top who's taking Ravenel who's going toward like the back pylon on the left side. And then you also have like another corner in there who's in between Ravenel and Thornton. And like the longer Centeo waited, the more Thornton became open. But he kind of pulled the trigger maybe a little early, overthrew it to Ravenel in the end zone, and the, the corner even dropped back there. It wasn't there. He could have hit that underneath route but he probably needed to wait or even like pump fake the deep ball. So it was a spot where it's like, that's kind of tough. Like this the defensive scheme made him actually make a choice and he, he maybe made the wrong choice there. There were some other ones where he had deep balls and he underthrew guys and had opportunities. And the other thing is like, I also wish they didn't only take as many deep balls as they did, but he averaged like 17 yards of completion. Like the, the deep balls were kind of working. They hit a bunch of really long pass plays. The one drive when they went, 91 yards and three plays were like all deep balls and nobody said anything. So I, I get it where it's like, you need five There's yards. Time and plays. I get that. I get that. But I think some of it was not like the play call wasn't throw a deep ball. It was like, you got a couple options here and but he thought the deep it, ball was more open. Why is the option? I guess the, the heart of my question is it's third and one. Why are you not running it? And I know we've been pounding our chest for five years now. We're going back to the pass the ball be aggressive and here's Kurt Signetti being aggressive passing the ball but I think I think it's an issue we also have seen in the national championship with Kurt Signetti and even Mike Houston you got to pick your spots you got to know when to be aggressive and when not to be aggressive when it's third and one and your backfield is averaging 5.2 yards per carry why are you running it like I get that the, sometimes the read was not was not correct Signetti even said in his postgame press conference that they thought they had opportunities to go deep they were going to test him over the top and it worked like it worked. But when it's third and one, your goal isn't a touchdown. Your goal isn't a chunk play, right? Am I thinking of this wrong? When it's third and one, your goal is to get that one yard and get that first down. I think some of them were a little longer though. I think some of them were like fourth and four or three. St where I know, still, I know you still, can run it. If you, have a, if you have a fourth and four and you give it to Percy and he's clogged up the gut for two yards, people are also going to be pissed. Essentially, they want you to convert the fourth down and win the game. Like, there's no perfect thing. I agree that some of the calls were like, why are they going deep? But looking back, there were a couple where it was like, I don't think he had to go deep. Like, I think he might have had a guy, and he didn't go to him. I kind of wish they had done more zone reads because Centeo was running all over them in the first half. So I was a little surprised they went away from that. First drive of the game, they ran a few RPOs, and they just gashed them. They walked down the field with relative mm -hmm. ease. The RPO was working. And we saw it against, I want to say it was App State during the comeback. The RPO was tearing them apart. And when you have Todd Santeo, who is a fantastic running quarterback, I think you got to deploy the RPO more. You're down in some points of that game, and in other points you're not. But the RPO is working. It's a run-pass option. You have multiple options. Your team's prepared for it. Your team's been playing it very well all season. Why'd you get away from it so early? There were a lot of head-scratching moments in this game, one of them being, you know, short yardage, the other one being abandoning the RPO, 
maybe it's because they wanted deeper shots. And when you're doing an RPO, it's a very quick timing based route. You either hand right. it off or due to the offensive line, essentially run blocking on that play. So they're going to push up the field and they can't get more than five yards down the field. You have to throw a quick pass. So if Signetti's plan, if the Mike Shanahan's offense plan was to hit him over the top and get those go balls, then I understand why you abandoned the RPO so early. But the difference in this game between the coaching staffs, the chess match that was happening, was there were halftime adjustments made on one side, and there were halftime adjustments not made on the other. You said seven points scored in the first half for Georgia Southern, right? Offensively. Yeah. Second half, 42. Well, they, they had the block punt, so it was, it was probably 35 or whatever, technically, or whatever that is, whatever that math is. I don't know math. 30, whatever. 31, I think. I don't but know. But it was still. Saying. Okay. They, they, well, they, they only, the defense only allowed seven first half points, but they did score on a blocked punt. So Signetti oh, was saying I see. that, it was he was saying that touchdown wasn't their fault. So they gave up 31 okay. in the second half. Yeah, sorry. I looked yeah, up the yeah. box score because the math would take me an hour and a half in my head. But anyway. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. but I think that's that's an interesting point because I was looking at the uh, the drive chart, and this is kind of where Signetti also said the offense deserved um, some blame. So they had that – I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know why Georgia Southern tried the onside kick. Um, what sorry, was that? I was pointing. Are you getting to the fact that they only called six planned rushing plays in the second half? No, that's bad, though. I don't like that. Excluding Todd Tail, Latrell and Percy, I don't think, had a rush in the second half. Some of it was tough because, like, in the fourth quarter, they kind of had to throw because they got themselves down by, like, double digits and the defense is doing nothing. Yeah, but you're so, averaging 5.2 yards per carry. But then in the third quarter, they weren't. The third quarter, they had one drive where they did two runs in a row and they lost a total of three yards. And, like, the drive fizzled. So, like, there's there's some where it's like, yeah, you got to pound it. But at the same time, like, there were a couple of drives. But I could say like, the same about – there was a couple of drives where it was an incomplete, incomplete, and the drive fizzled. That's true. Like, but I, I know, I know we're like, getting into we're getting into the weeds of the analytics argument and like the the added value of passing to running. I just think you gotta know the situation. I just they just miss so many opportunities. So whether it's yeah. it's play calling or whatever, like there's also some spots where they should execute it better. Like the first interception, like if Ravenel takes the route in a little closer, maybe it's incomplete or he can get it. Like there's just little things like that that were disappointing. Uh Ravenel had a tough fumble later. It wasn't a certainly his best game even though he's had a pretty good year so i mean there are spots where it's like a guy who's usually a super reliable receiver who like catches the ball makes three guys miss and has some great chunk play just had like a weird off night which didn't help but but so the georgia southern goes for the stupid onside kick that the guy kicks like four yards which was hilarious works out very well for jmu which then gashes them up the middle with a palmer run and quickly scored a touchdown the commentator also didn't realize a penalty was called we'll get to the commentator <laughs> we gotta get there that was <laughs> electric performance by the color. We've had some incredible color guys this year. <laughs> really good stuff. <laughs> but anyway, they go down and score that touchdown immediately. And then they have like the 75 yard touchdown that probably should be intercepted. Like that was kind of a backbreaker where it's like he threw the ball to Sam Kidd and Chauncey Logan and they like ran into each other basically and, and gave up a touchdown. So that was, that's tough. It's a one-on-one -on -one battle. If you win it, maybe that changes momentum. Just like a lot of the other early plays where they could have, Momentum like it, doesn't exist. The fact that it was 14-0 and then 14-14 like two minutes was just disastrous in the first <laughs> half. But anyway, the, the second half, they score, they go up 10, they give up a quick touchdown. Then they go turnover on downs, punt, punt, fumble, punt against a defense that ESPN has still 123rd nationally in efficiency, 
the worst defense in the Sun Belt. I mean, if you're the offense, you can't have five consecutive drives where you don't score points against a horrendous offense. When you have like a six-year quarterback who might be the offensive player of the year in the conference, you've got great running backs, good offensive. Like there's no excuse for five drives in a row without anything. When you're probably averaging, and I haven't done the math, but probably averaging around 10, 10 yards per play. It was like seven yards a play, I think. Yeah. So in theory, if we're talking by the law of averages, two plays, you should have 14 yards. 7.7 7.7 over 88 plays. So it's, it's not like they were struggling. <laughs> the and, and, and that is with the fact that they had five straight drives that ended in no points. Right. Which is just, it's kind of a disastrous little stretch. Like you can't go. I mean, they had two drives in a row where they ran six plays for a total of four yards. And you can, you can do that when your defense is stopping the opponent. When it's or, one of those defensive, like grinded out games yeah. and it's 17-10. But while that was happening, Georgia Southern took, uh, I believe, a 10-point lead during that that little stretch. Yeah, it's like you can do that if you also don't throw three interceptions and have a punt blocked for a touchdown and, like, not trust your field goal kicker. Like, it's just it, – it all sort of spiraled where it's like you can't blame one thing, really. It's like, hey, the defense wasn't good enough. The offense made too yeah. many mistakes. The special teams was just, like – it's not, it's not an asset. It's like, God, I hope they hang on today. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't been one that's like, wow, they're making plays except for Surratt who has been very efficient as a punt returner. He's been pretty good. Which was surprising when I read that. I think third or fourth most efficient punt returner in the nation. Yeah, he's been really good. So they have that going for him, <laughs> but they did rally back very well, right? They were down. And they had a lead. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they, they went down. sounded like a mouse right there. <laughs> they, they went down and battled for the lead. And then they did the one drive. I felt like they scored too quickly, which is like kind of an NFL take. Um, and one in hindsight, Georgia Southern also had three timeouts. So how they would have scored a touchdown, reduced all of their three timeouts and all of the clock would have, <laughs> would have been impossible. So, I mean, you kind of got to go score the touchdown, but I also thought that was a spot where maybe they would have ran it and see if they could have gotten some of those. At least force them to use a timeout or two. Yeah. Something, yeah. But, I mean, I can't get that mad when they go and score, like, an easy touchdown. You can be like, you idiot. And you had them on a fourth and ten. You had them on the ropes on the next possession. Like, Should we talk about the fourth and ten a little? You Even can. more? You, well, you I will say that. I will say the drive before, and I didn't, I didn't love JMU's, like, second-half timeout usage also. They were just burning them like they were nothing. I didn't like JMU in the second half, period. I liked him in the first half. Like, I tweeted at the end of halftime. We kind of swapped roles with who was tweeting. I was doing all the first <laughs> half, and then – I went to go call a soccer game, <laughs> and you kind of took over, and it got really dark really quick. But oh, it did. At halftime, it was kind of like, okay, we're up three. We're vastly outgaining them. If it mm-hmm. wasn't for the blocked punt, we're sitting here with. If it wasn't for the blocked punt, and maybe only one, I think he had two interceptions up to that point. Yeah, maybe not. But it was mm-hmm. a, it was a costly interception on the goal line, and you're sitting there like, all right, maybe if there isn't that mistake, and there's the other mistake, or if there's only one of those mistakes, they're up fourteen to seven. They're up twenty-one to seven right now, and. We're feeling really good going into halftime. But instead, we're up three. But, man, are we just absolutely destroying them. They have no answer for this offense. Then in the second half, I also tweeted a pessimistic look. And a pessimistic look is the one that came out to be true. It was – they just left so many plays out there that it was so disappointing. Because it was a winnable game, right? They could be 6-0 and and still ranked. And they, they aren't because they let so many chances slip. But it was they, – they rallied back in the game. But they have – JMU fans keep saying, like, oh, we had him do a fourth down. Well, yeah, JMU also burned all of its timeout and had a fourth and nine in its own territory with three minutes left that Santeo threw a perfect pass to Chris Thornton to convert, and they go down and score a touchdown. So 
some of that is like, oh my God, if we only made this one play. It's like, they're also probably saying the same thing defensively. Like if they force one more incompletion, the game's over, which is the same as what JMU did, except Georgia Southern actually covered the play pretty well. And Santana made a great throw where JMU had a horrible miscommunication, allowed like one of their best receivers eight yards uncovered over the middle of the field. And he just had to like fall forward. So that was disappointing. That was definitely disappointing. But then they got the ball back. And then of course they get the ball back and they start throwing like intermediate passes. JMU. It's like I throwing like seven yards. I... <laughs> <There's> <laughs> this a minute I left. stopped watching at this point. I was like, I'm done. Like this is over. And all of a sudden I just see your tweets. There's a minute left and JMU should be doing out routes. And we're doing intermediate routes over the middle of the field with no timeouts. They just clearly needed chunk plays. They would throw like a seven-yard pass. They also had one that was kind of mind-boggling where there's 30 seconds left. The clock is running. They have no timeouts. They just got a first down. Everyone ran up. Terrence Green catches the ball and places it right where he was. So he catches the ball, places the ball down, and runs to like go line up for the next play. And I'm like, cool, they're going to spike it. They don't. They've miscommunicated with Percy, who is halfway to the sideline, and then comes back and runs to Centeo. It takes eight seconds, and Georgia Southern calls a timeout. And it was like, what, what what was that? It's like they hadn't practiced the two-minute drill. So there were just things like that where it was like mind-numbingly sloppy that weren't very good. And then, of course, the next play is an interception where there's miscommunication where he looks for Thornton. Thornton keeps running directly to a Georgia Southern defender. So it was not crisp, which I thought was kind of surprising. Um, maybe it shouldn't have been that surprising because they didn't look all that crisp at times against like Texas State. They've had some lapses this year, right? They had a disgusting eight minute stretch against app state. So they're not a perfect team and you just have to execute better. If you want to be capable conference teams, basically. Yeah. 100%. I I feel like they will, because for the most part, they've played a pretty great start to the season. I mean, you don't go undefeated. Like, and I know we make fun of coastal and stuff like that too, but both coastal and Jamie, they executed what they needed to execute to start the season. They started undefeated. Both teams had a loss this week. And it's because they didn't execute. They didn't do what they needed to do. And I know that's so cliche, but at the end of the day, that was the difference in this game. Coastal, not Coastal, Georgia Southern played a perfect game nearly, including timely turnovers, a blocked punt for a field. If you score on special teams, I don't know what the percentages are, but your odds of winning go up exponentially. And I mean, Jamie just couldn't recover from it. And they still had their opportunities to like, I think that's worth noting as well, that JMU played one of the worst games of the season and they had a chance to win. But at the end of the day, Georgia Southern was the better team. Yep, they, they outplayed them. The right, they executed better and they got the most out of their opportunities. Like they had to play a really good game to pull the upset and they did. And it was cool. And before we get to fan reaction, I got I to gotta mention a few interesting Signetti quotes that I think you will also appreciate. So he had he had the one where he said the defense looked like they were running in mud, (laughs) which was hilarious. He goes, we looked slow and they looked fast. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. Um, And then another one, they asked him about sort of the scheme and how they were able to get so many like intermediate passes. I think he said this today, but he said it'll be a good offseason study. Offseason? He said, can't like candidly, it'll be interesting to look like super in depth at, at Georgia Southern, I think specifically. Um, I'm sure, like, obviously they're going to study the tape and see how it applies to different teams. But, but like, Marshall's but not going season, out there. And... This is, this is going to be an off-season? <laughs> We're going to have to go through the rest of the season with this? I think it meant it's more for the, like, specific air raid scheme that they probably don't face the rest of the season. But it was interesting to me because he was basically like, 
Yeah, they did some pretty interesting <laughs> things that like caught our game plan off guard and clearly killed <laughs> us. Which was the other thing that people were like, how can you get out coached by them? It's like their offensive coordinator came from Western Kentucky where they were scoring a gazillion points and had the best passing offense in the country. Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl at USC. Like you can say whatever you want about his tenure there. Kind of like when people are like, how can you possibly get out coached? Like, this Georgia is- Southern has the better coaching staff. Like, I mean, no offense to Kurt Signetti. I mean, no offense to that whole. <laughs> Clay Helton was a Pac-12 coach who at one point was one of like the minds of college football. Their coaching staff's really good. Yeah, like that. Georgia Southern is going to be a damn good football team. If it, I mean, they're showing they're already good this year. So I can only imagine what the Sun Belt East is going to be like in the next few years with Clay Elton rebuilding that program. He kind of gives me Lane Kiffin vibes when Lane Kiffin was at FAU for like all of 30 seconds. I feel like that's going to be Clay Helton at Georgia Southern, but that's another conversation for another podcast. Yeah, he's going to have some fun and score some points. Like they're a good football team and he's a good coach. So I thought that was weird when it's like, how can you get out coached? Also, no one ever says that the other way. No one's ever like, wow, the offense is putting up a gazillion points. You know, Shanahan. Good job for, uh, yeah, they're out coaching. Right. It's like, we've out coached people tons of times this year. We out coached like, App State. Right. We out coached right. Texas State. <laughs> it's so annoying when it's like, how can you get out coached? The other thing about Signetti is people, so there's still some like, can't win the big game. I didn't consider this a big game going in. I don't so think you, I don't think you mean a lot of people. I think you mean Ezra Hack. Is there are other, there are some other people were, who okay, are saying okay. it. Who were saying, oh, I just I don't know about him in the big game. And it's like you kind of have to define big game before the game. Yeah. Because to me, this was not a particularly like I mean it was a, it was a game you'd like to win. But it was also it was the prototypical trap game. Like yes. last week, it's nighttime, it's a primetime game, it's on national television, albeit NFL network, so nothing too crazy. But you traveled to Jonesboro, Arkansas, a place you've never traveled before as a program you come home i know they said we can't get one game at a time we're we're (laughs) focused on the media they're focused on the media they're looking at what the headlines are saying they see that they get voted in the ap top 25 they're college kids head gets a little bit bigger you're then back on the road to another place you've never been before in the last 30 years as a program and as this coaching staff has never been these players have never been to Statesboro, Georgia, and like back-to-back new road games. And it's a team that has history. It's a team that there's a history there. They're now 8-1 and against JMU. They know how to win, albeit it was back in the 90s and early 2000s. But And then the game after this one's homecoming against Marshall, which is more of a regional rival that JMU's tweeting that they've sold out last week before the Georgia Southern game you're going to tend to just focus on that. Like, I know they say that it's one know every week. We don't care. Blah, blah, blah. It's a championship opportunity. No, it's not. <laughs> like, we know that each before each game, they're sitting in their apartments. They have games circled on it. They're like, oh, I can't wait to go play ODU. My friend plays there, and we're going to beat their ass. Like, I, like, you know what's going through their heads. They No one had Georgia Southern circled. And they had Arkansas State circled, because you know what it said next to Arkansas State? NFL Network. They said, oh, scouts will watch that. Scouts aren't turning on ESPN Plus and watching Georgia Southern. I mean, they might be, but. <laughs> you also think that, like, like they might have the one and no mentality. You think their buddy in the accounting class or, like, in philosophy does? No. That we like... do. And I know I know, we were on Twitter pounding our chest this whole week. We're fans. We don't need to have the one and no mentality. We don't need to have the one and no mentality. No. We're fans. We're media. By all means, talk it up on Twitter. I can't wait for Georgia State. I can't wait 
for Coastal. Those are going to be fun games. I also can't wait for Marshall. But, yeah, your buddy in the accounting class is, hey, yo, hey, Todd. Come on. Y'all, y'all, Georgia Southern's piece of cake, right? And Todd's probably <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and then this week, you know what's going to be happening in the class? Which helps them, which is what I think also is going into it. This week in class in accounting, Phil from accounting is going to go over to Todd. Bro, what the fuck happens? Excuse my language. I'm so sorry for the, the curse. Oh, man. This is a live stream, too. They're going to be like, yo, Todd, what happened, brother? And Todd's going to be like, hearing that all week. He's going to want out and try and prove himself on Saturday. Right. Like it's for the language. No, it's easy to for people to <laughs> to feel themselves and feel really confident and, and talk about the one and no mentality. But it's it's easy to get ahead of yourself. And they, they didn't execute well. They didn't execute well. The other thing, too, like. The defense looked tired. Well, it was 80 degrees in Georgia, and they had to play 80 plays, where like the most they'd run before this was Texas State when they did 62, and the starters were not <laughs> for all 62. <laughs> so like it's it's different. They ran a lot more plays. They were more competitive. Also, it's kind of tiring, I feel like, if you're getting torched. like It's way easier to show up to the line the next play if you didn't just give up a 14-yard reception super easily. Like If you're holding them to 10 points and they're shut out, a lot easier than, like, oh, they just murdered us on a deep ball. It's, it's also the first time all season they've played back-to-back road games. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I can undersell this point enough that being in a new conference outside of playing these new teams, the logistics of travel are just completely different. Like I was talking with the head coach for Charlotte Men's Soccer about this because they're going from the CUSA to the AAC in Men's Soccer. And he was talking about how in the preseason, they had to take like a whole day, not doing any practice, maybe it was multiple days, not focusing on film, but focusing on, all right, so we're not going here anymore. We have to figure out where are we getting where are we getting dinner, where's our hotel, what are we doing, how's practice, where are we practicing? And this is something they never had to deal before. Normally, that's only a non-conference thing. You're sitting here in the heart of a conference schedule against a team that's at home, and you have to figure out which hotel are we staying out in Statesboro? What dinner are we getting the night before that can accommodate 90 kids? What What are we doing? Where are we practicing? And it's just all new, and I think that – adds up especially when you go from jonesboro arkansas to statesboro georgia georgia those aren't going up to delaware and then down to you know elon it's also like little things too right where when you're used to doing that like if you're georgia southern's offense you got a six-year receiver yeah. who's about to go up against a true freshman corner like who who knows more about like how their body responds in terms of sleep and like when they want to have a certain Gatorade and like how they stretch out, but like probably the veteran kid, like there are little things probably like that. Probably the guy like, our age. Right. It's a, <laughs> exactly when you've got someone who's like 25 years old playing out there against a 19 year old, he's seen a lot <laughs> more college football. Like he knows what he's doing. So it kind of makes some sense that like, Hey, that's a weakness they could exploit that they did exploit. But there are little things like that, that they're not like, you know, every team deals with it, right? It's not an excuse for like, we lost because we didn't drink a Gatorade the night before. But it, it goes into it, like the little things that you have to do well, like how you can't throw, you know, tip ball interceptions, but they basically had like two of where a defensive line, like you could, I mean, you could look at it like that. Like there was a jump ball and a tip ball between Latrell Palmer and defensive lineman and a defensive lineman one. Like weird things happen. It's college football. And that's what happened in the loss. It was just too many uncharacteristic uncharacteristic mistakes and and some of that could be yeah the weird road schedule certainly doesn't help them and you know what they're allowed to storm the field yeah we got to talk fan reaction all right do you want to talk that or quick fan question not fan questions um question. so. there, are, there are fans man they love it <laughs> <laughs> no, i don't think so. 
We want to do questions and then fan reaction. That sounds fun. I just have this really good question from Tyler Reskovac. Um, shout out Tyler. He runs the alumni bar up in uh, New York City. If you're ever in New York City, check out oh, the yeah. alumni bar up there. Um, but he asks, overall, how are you guys feeling about the Sun Belt games? Personally, he's never been more excited, stressed in a regular season. Usually feel like this when we're in the playoffs. Loss feels like we lost the national championship, but everyone win feels like JMU taking down NDSU in 2016. I think that sums it up really well. I mean, every game is fun. App State, I've never felt that way in a football game. Going into every single game, you know there's a little bit more oomph behind it. And I'd argue, usually I don't feel like this until they're in the game against North Dakota State or they're in the game of the national championship. Even in the playoffs, you and I didn't get me going. Like, Yeah, it's it's way different, right? And some of it, too, is like wanting to win the Sun Belt East that's super competitive. Like in the CAA, you would lose a game and you'd be like, oh, man, are we going to catch Delaware? And you like check the score and they're down like four scores at home to Stony Brook. And it's like, oh, (laughs) never mind. Like there's no conference race because these teams kind of suck. Right. There was just like there's no real like anxiety about what could go wrong. Or even if you lost like the loss to Villanova, it's like, wow. Now we're going to be the three seed instead of the two, which maybe in hindsight, like was very important in them, not winning the national title, <laughs> but it didn't feel like that in the moment. It was like, whatever, like we'll go to the Fargo Dome. That'll be fun to watch. Like it just didn't seem like it mattered. This one, even though the, the year doesn't have as many stakes, I still want to win the East. I feel like that's, that's kind of the goal going undefeated would have been cool. You're in that AP top 25. Everything just feels like it has more value. And then even like, and we'll get to this, I guess more later, but the fans storming the field, like how many road venues would they have gone to where that would have happened? Like you think like old people would have slowly meandered out of the, the Villanova stands. They would have walked all the way across the track and then like through their little mini hot chocolate stand that had a line of 75 people. Cause it's the only concessions they had and then go out onto the field to storm it. No, they only care about basketball. Like no students were at this game. <laughs> I love how, how that, that was, I love how you've been personally victimized by the Villanova concessions and very clearly and it, it comes it bears its head in this podcast the fan experience there is just garbage but yeah I mean all the other questions I think we've hit the, the nail on the head everyone's asking about like the offensive play calling and what was why uh, they only run six rushes in the second half I think we kind of hit it but I, I like that Sunbelt question where it's like that's a great this question. season feels fun like every game is fun I'm excited I watched every CAA game, but you go into it and you're like, all right, are we going to win by 40 or 60? Okay, it wasn't that aggressive. Are we going to win by 20 or 30? Well, like they had those games where they didn't score last year for like most of the game. It's like, oh, we didn't score any touchdowns today and we're bad in the red zone. So we won 19 to three. Yeah. (laughs) You can't do that now. You can't be like, oh, we didn't score touchdowns today. So we won by 16. Like that's probably not a thing anymore. Yeah. Which is fun. We didn't score any touchdowns and we lost by seven. Right. <laughs> right. It was like, oh, we made a bunch of mistakes and we lost. And also you don't have to have like weird trips, like a trip to, to Jones, Statesboro or whatever is like more normal. And you have fans in the stands and, and whatever. Whereas like in the past, it was like, you go up to the sleepy hollows in New Hampshire. You crawl through a cave and in the darkness is the stadium. <laughs> no one is there. There, And they have soundproof walls. And like, yeah, it's hard to play up there, man. Everyone's asleep in the stands. Like, it's, it's not the same. It's like hard to play because the people are amped to be there and things like that, which is a way cooler thing. Like you go to the mountains of App State and the fans are going crazy. It's not like an elderly gentleman snored when we tried to have a drop back pass and it threw us off. So it's, it's a little different. 
<laughs> the CA sucks. Uh, do you want to – okay, so from here, do we want to talk about what the standard is or the rushing the field first? Oh, that's a good question. I think rushing yeah. the field. Rushing the field. I think rushing the field. Yeah, let me just start by this. I think a majority of JMU fans, I'd say 75%, were okay with them rushing the field. I think and that's some true. Of the take, some of the takes were a little weird. People saying, like, it's their Super Bowl, like, <laughs> let them have it. Like, almost a really condescending way. To it's also like, just not their job. Super Bowl. Yeah, it was like, like patting them on that. Good job, kid, tussling their hair. You beat us. Good job. Try that again next year. You won't. Good job. Like, or then there's the other people who are like, how dare they rush the field? This this program has history. No, not in the last 20 years. They have FCS titles. Okay. Those don't matter. Like, And I feel like a, a, a rude saying this, but now that we're in the FBS, and I don't mean it in a rude way, but it just kind of opened my eyes. No one cares about the FCS. <laughs> North Dakota State has won 50 of the last 51 national championships, right? You bring up North Dakota State. Oh, that Division II school up in North Dakota? No <laughs> one cares about FCS titles. What have you done for me recently? What have you done for me now in the FBS? And Georgia Southern, they've done nothing. They've fired their coach. They're in the middle of a historic change from the triple option to this Clay Helton offense. They took down a ranked opponent. Yeah, rush the field. I would rush the field if I was there. And I'm a JMU fan. <laughs> it's like they were they were running a triple option and they had some okay teams, right, where they had some bowl wins. And they went in the Sun Belt when it was way different in 2014. And they were the, like entered it and won it, which was really cool. So they're like some cool things. But like no students now were there in 2014. Like they beat a ranked team. They were it's also excited. their second ever ranked win at home. At home. Like a Last huge, one was 2018 against App State. A big win. Also, uh, the Super Bowl stuff was weird. It's like, huh, we're your Super Bowl. It's like they beat Nebraska on the road. Like, stop it. This like that getting Scott Frost fired will rank higher than this. It's also weird because JMU fans in the immediate aftermath were like, all week, we're ranked. We're the best G5 team. Yeah, we're amazing. And then they win. They're like, um, we were just in FCS last year, so <laughs> it's not a big win. And it's like, you were just saying how important we are in the grand scheme of college football. And now we now you're talking down on us. What? It was kind of, yeah, it was like last week. It's like, I think we're going to get a waiver and play in the Cotton Bowl. And then it was like, we weren't going to play in a bowl game. We don't want to play in a bowl. We hate bowls, right? We suck. We're an FCS team. We lost to North Dakota State last year. We're not even built for this. We're tired. It's a grind of a season. Back-to-back road games. We're, we're sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should have won this game. We didn't expect to win. How dare you rush the field? It was like like the week before. They're like, yeah, we're just as good as Cincinnati. <laughs> like if if they beat Cincinnati at home and they rushed it, people would have been like, oh, yes. And then last week we're like, we're basically Cincinnati. And then we lose the game and it changes to completely like, we're a bunch of losers. Also, if the roles were flipped, if Georgia Southern came in number 25 into Bridgeforth and JMU was like a mediocre Sunbelt yes. team that season, which it <laughs> – I will also say is a plausible thing happening in the next five years. Right. I, I would expect us to rush the field. It's just, and people were saying it the other way where it was like, do you mean like if three and three Georgia Southern beat us at our place, we would, <laughs> or like, like it was confusing. It was like, are we still five and one in the scenario where we wouldn't have rushed the field or were we, because if it was flipped, like we weren't good and we beat a ranked team, I think there would be some, 
some interest in Russia. I don't know. It's also just like, it doesn't really affect you. You know what I mean? No, like, I it, you shouldn't, like, why are you pissed? No. Like, oh, what the hell? These kids got they're having fun. <laughs> like, it just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. College football's fun. Let college football be fun. Tear down the goalposts. Throw it into the bottom of the Tennessee River. I don't care. It has no impact on me. It has no oh. impact on the school. Clemson has their fans storm the field literally every game because it's fun. They just let them run out on the field every game. Like, they'll beat, like, an unranked Syracuse team. People are just like, hey! <laughs> who cares? That's a little weird, but who cares? That is a let little them, weird, but... Let them do their it. thing. Let them do their thing. Because you know they one also- of the most... One of the most iconic memories of college of my college tenure was rushing the field in the national championship. Like it's fun. The other one is rushing the court against beating UVA. Like, granted, that wasn't in college. That was just a year ago. But but it's UVA, fun. Like, we were aware that UVA wasn't good. That too. Like <laughs> last year's win over UVA, yeah, it was quote unquote historic. But UVA didn't even make the tournament. They didn't even win the ACC. It wasn't a good win. Really didn't right. help our resume much. No. No, it's just fun. Like you just yeah, it's just, you just have fun. You're just trying to have fun, man. I thought that was yeah, that was those were some interesting also, takes. If App State, if that game against App State happened at Bridgeforth, we're rushing the field. Jamie fans are rushing the field. And yeah. that's against an unranked app team. Mm-hmm. 100 uh, I, I think that's what I just I don't like those types of takes. I don't like those either. I thought that was weird. It was also just like weirdly deprecating, like you mentioned to to JMU, where it was like a self-deprecating, like yeah. we actually suck. Like what? <laughs> it's like when teams like they beat someone. This usually happens like in basketball, though. I think Georgia Southern might have done a little chanting like overrated. It's like, yeah, the team we just beat actually sucks. <laughs> Turns out they stink. That's- <laughs> but we beat them though. Like, you should right. chant underrated, and that really yeah, tightens yeah. up your resume. Like, underrated, rated. <laughs> yeah. Number twenty-five should be number twenty. Unbelievable. Um. All right. So moving on from that, man, we're already at fifty-five minutes for today's podcast. We're That's impressive. Uh, we haven't even touched on a Marshall yet. So before we get to Marshall, I think this might be the last thing. There'll probably be a yeah. couple other things that bubble up from the Georgia Southern game, but a lot of fans. Talking about the standard. This game wasn't the JMU standard. This doesn't live up to the standard. But what <laughs> is the standard? So we asked that question on Twitter. We've been talking about the standard. We want to know what you all think it is. We got 127 votes. Not that many people. Come on, guys. Let's more than Ezra Hacks, nine votes. I mean, it is a lot more than his. But we asked three. <laughs> there was three options. The standard, is it making the 12-team college football playoff year in and year out when that happens? Is it competing for the Sun Belt East? Or is it just a winning record and making a bowl game? I think the standard is competing for the Sun Belt, which this loss, mind you, we're still number one in the Sun Belt East, full control of our own destiny here on out. What What do you think the standard is? I think competing makes sense. I bet, I think the majority of people voted competing, if I'm not mistaken. 68% voted competing, but more than I thought, 28% said making the 12-team college football playoff year in and year out over a quarter. I'm going to tell you guys right now, Cincinnati, that's not even their standard. (laughs) It's, It's also like, I bet there are a lot of people of the 68 who would say when they say competing, 
I bet some of them mean like winning. Winning. Yeah. The sum, but, and right? I also so say, I'd also say if it was between competing and winning record and you took oh, this, of course, this is what it would happen. Never mind. Disregard what I mean. But it was like almost nobody said winning record, right? It was all like, 4%. yeah, we got to be, got to be in the mix for the East. We've got to win the East, got to be in the playoff. It's just, it was weird because it's like people are pissed that Jamie lost. They have one undefeated season in history, and it was in 1975. Like, why are people expecting an undefeated season? They've you should go into two FCS national titles. You should go into the year expecting a loss based on the history of the program. Like, not to be mean, but like, they've never shown you anything else, like, unless you were a fan in 1975. But even when they the also had a tie. But like, also the trend is that they don't, that doesn't happen. They lose. They lose pretty much every year, at least a game. So it's, it's just weird when people. Normally like, two. Right. Against FCS teams. I can't believe they would lose. Well, I mean, they're, they're now eight. I mean, one in eight all time against Georgia Southern. I know that a lot of those were a long time ago, but like, if you go off of the history, the history that they have is of losing games, which isn't like a bad thing because they also win a ton of games. But this, like, oh, they got to go undefeated. It's just crazy where it's like, I, you know, I thought they could win out, which, like, they were capable of winning out. We talked about that. But we're not, like, flabbergasted and, like, fuming when they lose. We also – I mean, granted, I kind of was – You were buying, on the undefeated train. I was buying into the undefeated train. But I was buying into the fact that we were going to be favored in every game from mm-hmm. here on out. And I'm like, there's a legitimate shot we can be undefeated. And I yes. bought into it. I thought it was going to happen. So I was like, wouldn't that be fun? And wouldn't that be storybook? I I've done that wrong. every year for the last four years. So, but Jamie will still be favored. I think, depending on what happens with Louisville this week, there's a good shot Jamie is favored every week still, and they can th- they can still win out. It'll be pretty close. I could see that one. You know, if they have a good one against Marshall and Louisville loses the next two, which is doable, but actually they could end up being favored. Yeah. So it's and they probably will be in the the conference games. Should be favored <laughs> over ODU in the last two are at home. So like, they're probably going to be favored in a lot of the games, at least four of the five. But it's like the standard that they've shown is basically like being a semifinal team recently or, or being in the mix for a national title, being really good. They lose a game or two, but they're, you know, under Signetti, they've what the 38 and six and the six losses are by a possession. So they're in every game, which I think is like a fair standard. But the thing like moving forward that's crazy is how many people are like, God, the Sunbelt East is a beast of a division. This thing's going to be a tough one to win. It's like, well, what do you think the standard for the program is? Winning the division. Like, what do you think the other teams are doing? Like, they're really good, but they can't beat JMU. Like, there are going to be years when App State and Georgia Southern and Marshall and Coastal, like, are the better team and they win the East. And that doesn't mean that's that's not the standard or, like, they didn't reach the standard. The standard should just be, like, putting yourself in the mix a decent amount of times. I agree. I think it's really well said. <coughs> really well said. Ooh. Oh, well. Man. All right. My voice is feeling some type of way. So you want to move on to, I'm trying to pull up the schedule and it won't let me pull up to the three notch preview homecoming versus Marshall breakdown. Oh yeah. All right. So I'm going to have to restart this because I'm going to have to cut it and put it onto Twitter. So I got to start it. Like I just said, three notch. Whoa. What was that voice? (laughs) Man. So glad this is live. The three-notched preview for homecoming against Marshall. Marshall comes into this one 3-3, three and 0-2 three, oh and in conference, 1-2 and two away. Just so happens that one win away from home is against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. But since that big-time win against number 8 Notre Dame, 
They've gone on to lose to Bowling Green 34-31, lose to Troy 16-7, and uh, lose to Louisiana this last week 13-23. Their head coach is Charles Huff. He was named the head coach last January, and they're an all right team. They're 58 overall, excuse me, 66 overall in expected points added. Not a good offense, though. So it's kind of the opposite of what we saw last week. The offense ranks 115th overall in the nation in EPA and 127th, excuse me, 127th in pass. So it's not what we saw last week. The secondary won't be tested as much. This offense has been lackadaisical for a majority of the season, but where they make their money is their defense. They're ranked eighth in the nation in EPA in defense. So a really solid unit. And that's compared to JMU, who is second in the nation in EPA. So it's going to be a tough game between the two of them. But you mentioned they might be running out two quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens. But I like the matchup for the Dukes. Kind of feels like Delaware's coming to town, honestly. it's <laughs> You've got a team that seems like kind of a CAA build, right, where they they run the ball, their quarterback play is, is lackluster, but the defense is very solid, which sets up, I think, really well for a JMU team that just got absolutely obliterated through the air. Like, I think they're very happy to face a team that's not great through the air. So it seems like a favorable matchup. You're going to have the home field behind them. It's a sellout crowd. JMU, I think, can lean on the run and the defense in this one, which is kind of what they want to do. So I think where Georgia Southern was sort of the worst stylistic matchup JMU maybe has on the schedule, I think this actually might be one of the best stylistic matchups that JMU will face. Yeah, for sure. They're led by Henry Columbi, who has a 144.9 efficiency rating over 940 yards on the season, six touchdowns. Um, but Camp Fancher has thrown a few passes so far this season as well for 190 yards. Are those the two that you think might be uh, – battling think, it out was there an injury or something that happened what do you know columbia a little banged up i believe but i think the other guy also came in and maybe moved the offense a little better so uh, i believe huff was saying that he's willing to throw both out there so they might just kind of see who the hot hand is and go from there so maybe a little tough to prepare for but i don't know that either guy is really an elite passer at this point and they make a lot of their money with uh kalan Laybourne who averages 5.4 yards per carry, 851 yards on the season on 158 attempts. So it'll test the rushing defense of the Dukes, but as of right now, they're number one in the nation. Still pretty good at running, stopping the run. So I, I think it's a, a decent matchup for him. He's got to go out and actually, you know, avoid those huge miscues that doomed him last week. Yep, games on ESPN+. Plus. It's homecoming. It'll be a really good game. Any other takeaways, though, for this game? I, I don't... I don't really know much about Marshall other than they've let themselves down after the Notre Dame win. Just, just haven't done anything offensively. They really didn't do a ton against Notre Dame offensively. They had a pick six that was huge in that game, but they didn't score a lot of points, then put together some great drive late, and then had a pick six right after to pull that upset. Uh, Bowling Green, they were up like 14 nothing after five minutes and blew that game, so that one was tough. And, the, I mean, it's hard to fault them too much for the road loss to Troy because Troy looks like they're it's them or probably South Alabama in the West. Like, those are really good. Yeah. teams but the louisiana one at home was really disappointing they just haven't done anything offensively <laughs> at all it's, it's been pretty disappointing even against gardner webb they only scored 28 so uh they've got a really tough stretch left here where they play jmu coastal odu app state georgia southern georgia state like <laughs> i mean they might end the year no bowl game and a win over notre dame which is extremely strange and really tough for notre dame did you know they're the first team in history to be favored by, I want to say 16 points or more. 
and lose both games at home the same season. Really? Yeah. Like the first Notre Dame team and the first team? No, first team ever in college football. <laughs> that sounds shocking. That's crazy. What? You know the bear on college game day? Yeah. He tweets out fun stats, and that was one of his stats he tweeted out today. That's pretty embarrassing for them. But sucks for them. We'll see how this game shakes out. I'm not I'm not going to be pounding my chest, though, like I was last week about how this is going to be an easy game and all of that. Because I'm worried that JMU, who struggled to finish drives, which has been an issue all season, will struggle to finish drives against a top 10 defense. I think it'll be interesting because it's one where it feels like it'll be like Signetti's just eating like a warm bowl of soup. You know, he's all comfortable in the fall. Like it just, it strikes me as like a Signetti comfort game, like a comfort <laughs> food game where he's going to like, they're going to win 20 to 10. He's going to punt like five times and just be really happy about it. Like, I don't know. This strikes me as one of those like CAA kind of games where it was like, what if we just played really slow, got up by 10 and then continued to be up by 10 as people were like moderately paying attention. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good point. It just seems like one of those. So that would be ideal. It would be kind of a grinded out win. But um, we'll see. Yeah, and Jamie's going to win the rest of their games this season. They're going to look really good doing it. They'll sneak back into the uh, rankings. I also want to say this before we get into the Sunbelt Pick'em. I think there's a strong chance even if Jamie wins out, they're not going to be ranked ever again. So don't like every week. This is kind of my plea to Jamie fans. We do this with game day every year. Please don't now every week ask or like plea with the ap top 25 to be ranked please the ranking bit is over it was funny when we it were was undefeated, so much fun. <laughs> but now that we've lost there's a strong chance we will win out and not ever like we we might not receive votes again maybe that's a maybe that's a little like, drastic but we received votes this week because people messed up on their ballot <laughs> one was a jmu alum who had them at 25 um and the other one was someone who absolutely messed up their ballot. So <laughs> not a lot of expectations the rest of the way. You gotta love it. All right. So the Sun Belt Pick'em. Last week you were on Coastal. We both were on Coastal. We both were on Troy. Troy pulled it out. Troy won last week. So we both Coastal, were on Coastal. Coastal got spanked. Yeah, Coastal bad lost to an ODU. We both were on South Alabama. We actually had the same picks across the board. South Alabama won. Southern Miss won a nail biter. They needed 13 points in the fourth, but man, did they pull it off. They won that one 20 to 19 against the Red Wolves of Arkansas State. Those are my dogs. And then we both lost to Jamie one. So nine. We were with three and two last week. We're sitting above 500. Uh, if you're betting the money line with us, good job. We have a winning record. But if you're betting the spread, I don't think you're doing as hot. So we also we also said we were gonna pick Marshall during that game when they had a lead and they lost. So that's kind of a tough luck for us too. <laughs> <laughs> so breaking it down, let's do it. Georgia State, App State. Maybe this is Wednesday. Wednesday night game. I like App State. Win this one, sort of get the the train back on the tracks. App State three and three, one and two in Sun Belt. Georgia State two and four, one and one in Sun Belt. But it is at Kid Brewer Stadium, so I'm with you. I'm on App State. Troy, like, South Alabama. This is this might be for one. the South Sun Belt West. I think it could be. This is a great game between two unbelievable teams. Oh man, what a tough one! What a tough one! I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Troy as an underdog in this game. I'm going South Alabama. I've been riding my Jaguars all week, all year at Hancock Whitney Stadium. Three point favorites. 
Give me South Alabama all day, every day. Their quarterback has thrown for over 1,600 yards this season and 13 touchdowns. He'll continue tearing it up against a Troy defense, but that's going to be a good game. Uh, UL Monroe against Army. Why is Army playing the Sunbelt Gauntlet? I know. We didn't even get him. Lame. I like Army in this one. They're seven-point favorites. Army is a seven-point favorite. It's at home. I'm going Army as well because Army low-key can win out and be bowl eligible. This is true. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, Georgia Southern ODU. Man, this one's actually a really hard one to pick. You know, I go back and forth on this one because ODU has been opportunistic at times this year. They really have. Yeah. They're three and three, two and zero oh in Sunbelt. They're technically in the driver's seat. Well, we and them control their and Coastal. They, we all still control our own Disney because we right. each other. So. I think Georgia Southern wins this game. I do too. I'm on Southern. I think Southern's defense didn't figure anything out against us because they all had 700 passing. They had 700 total yards. I think their offense, though, seeing it firsthand, Van Trees has thrown for over 2,500 yards on the season. Just an absurd number. He's going to drop back another 50 times. And I don't think ODU's defense will be able to stop it. If they just avoid the like awful turnovers, they feel like they're good enough to win that one. Arkansas State, Louisiana. Arkansas State. I'm going to go Raging Cajuns. For no reason. I don't know why. but I don't love either team in this spot, but I think the, uh, the fighting Butch Jones is finally pull one together. Uh, Arkansas State is a six and a half point road dog. Southern Miss at Texas State. A lot of people are saying Southern Miss after that win are sort of the, the front runner in the West, uh, which is debatable. Which is impossible. <laughs> it's debatable, right? You know, it's tough because they did lose to Troy by 17. But I think they're going to rally here and pick up another win at Texas State as they creep their way to bowl eligibility. Give me Southern Miss as well. I bet they win. JMU Marshall. It's homecoming. JMU is a 13 point favorite it's gonna be interesting the strength of marshall is their running attack the strength of jmu is their rushing defense something's got to give what's giving uh, i've got jmu 35 to 10. jmu 35 to 10 really i think it's a bounce back spot they limit the dumb turnovers if you can't pass effectively against jmu i don't think you're scoring a lot home crowds can be wild i think they bounce back going into the bye week and prepare pretty well for louisville I think Jamie wins this game 24 to 14. I don't see Jamie being able to score 35 points against this Marshall defense. It's one of the best in the nation, man. That's what they say. Yeah, it is what they say. It's what I say, too. So, anything else you got to add before we get up on out of here? Women's basketball pick to finish sixth in the Sun Belt is a joke. Men's basketball pick to finish fourth is a joke. They're both going to exceed that. They're both going to win the Sun Belt. Uh, men's basketball, number one in the Sun Belt in Ken Palm preseason. Pretty cool. Basketball's right around the corner, folks. When that gets a little bit closer, we'll be having a full <laughs> men's basketball breakdown and a women's basketball breakdown. But Bennett's already salivating at the bit as Ken Palm comes out. He's already told me he spent four hours on Ken Palm today looking at their game predictions, not only for JMU, but for every Sunbelt season. So <laughs> it's coming, game. folks. Um, for Ben Economy, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.